What's up? Welcome back to the Crude Oil Podcast. It's episode number 43. Sean, we got a 3-2 fucking series lead. Let's go! Oh, that was uh that was a great game last night, man. Holy shit, that was an execution from start to finish. Although a little bit dicey there in the first. It was a, they were playing with fire a little bit, I'm not gonna lie. It got me a little stressed out for a second. And even when um LA scored their third goal to make it only a three goal deficit, my heart skipped a beat for a second. <laughs> yeah. It, it didn't feel safe, that is for sure. Um so we have to start off the podcast because we we had mentioned before we're going to record after every two games, but that was on the basis of having a game every two game or every two days, and we figured you know with with game five happening and then having a four day break in between game five and game six, uh, we just wait for this game, and I'm glad we did because this is a much better uh, vibe to walk into. Uh, I don't know if I'd be saying the same if we recorded a couple days ago. I mean, I think it would have been still a positive vibe because we would have came off the 5-4 OT win. But uh, ultimately, I think I'm still pretty happy with uh, the outcome, to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Before we dive into things, just a reminder, you can go and uh, follow us on uh, Twitter and YouTube at Crude Oil Podcast. Uh, Join in on the conversation. Lots of stuff going on there. Uh, Yeah, it's been fun. I don't know if there's an a fan base that's more like pumped and you know interactive on on social media right now not even on social media but i saw a tweet from tony Bra- uh Bra- i think i'm saying that last name right but uh the the watch party on saturday sold out within like five minutes and we don't even have a fucking start time for game six yet well i'm not surprised by that in the slightest especially with the fact that tickets are five fucking dollars yeah, um, I remember I went last year. There was probably like eight of us, and we bought out an entire row. So it was like whatever, 12, 14 seats. And then we just had the whole row to ourselves. So everybody kind of had that extra space. And then you got to bring some extra people along as well because you had some extra tickets in your back pocket, which is not something I would ever be able to do at a regular Oilers game. Totally, totally. Um, So interestingly enough, if you're listening to this, I can guarantee you're probably a pretty diehard fan. What is your preference listening or watching games, I guess? Like, do you like to sit alone? I know, Sean, I, I like hanging out like in very small groups. Um, but I'm just curious what like the vibes down at uh, Ice District look awesome. But I don't know if I would do well sitting there like watching a game. What, well, like- let's see. From my experience with you, at least, I would say <laughs> if the team is winning... Being in, around people is great, but as soon as we're losing, it would not be great. I feel like <laughs> Greg came over to my place to watch the game on um, Sunday. On Sunday, yeah. and when Edmonton went down three nothing after the first, uh, Greg was seemingly ready to just go home and like <laughs> curl up on the couch and watch in anger by himself. But, but I didn't. You I didn't. didn't. That's the positive part. And then it turned into an actual fun game to watch. But I could feel the stress emanating from the couch next to me. <laughs> hey, but, we went out and bought grapes and nibs for game five, too. So uh, I'm keeping on that trend. Anything to keep those fingers busy to make sure you're not <laughs> freaking out. But myself, I personally like to watch with a couple people. Like I find yeah. by myself, I get too distracted by other stuff. And I like to talk. I'm not going to lie. I'm a big talker. That's fair. When I That's watch games fair. with my dad, for example, he he 
he talks, but he doesn't talk a lot. So a lot of the time I'm talking at him. So I like <laughs> when I have active people to talk to me about things as well. And I always have an active Snapchat group kind of going with a bunch of my buddies where we chat about every single game. <laughs> I just remember last summer, I, I hope your dad's listening to this, but when we went out to the, the cabin to go watch the game, I, I kept like saying stuff and like no response back. And I was like, oh, fuck, am I talking too much? Well, there's a lot of like, I say something to him and then he turns to look at me. He's like, huh? What did you, what'd you say? <laughs> oh, he's the man. Um Okay, let's dive into things here. Uh, we're coming off a 6-3 win. Uh, let's just work our way backwards, uh, back to game three. Uh, we'll talk about how that kind of just... It was just a shit show from start to to finish with the refereeing. Um, I, I don't like complaining about refs, but I think we need to talk about it in that game. Yeah, I would agree that... Uh... I have to say my tune changed pretty aggressively after game three, considering I believe after game one and two, I was saying like, yes, Edmonton's been like taking a lot of penalties, but they've all been fairly warranted penalties. Like I was Mm -hmm. never really mad whenever we'd take one in the sense that it was a bad call. I'd be mad because you'd be like, what the fuck is your problem? Why are you taking that stupid penalty? But this game honestly got out of hand. Like the the cross check they called on Ekholm in the first, as well as the roughing on Deharnay, just oh. completely pointless. And then not even to get into like the dry saddle on sportsman like penalty. That was like embarrassing for them to fucking call that penalty. Yeah, I I know I talked to you about it, but there's that clip going around that made it look like he. He touched the ice before, but apparently might be a doctored video out there. Regardless, like even if he slashed him with whatever he's doing, I get I get the understanding. Like, don't give the refs any any, uh, um, you know, motivation to call that against you. But that's that's baby shit stuff. Like you wouldn't even call that in the regular season. That's such garbage. Uh, Like it's such a like a nothing penalty when he slashes him. They didn't even fucking call a slashing penalty. Because yeah. they couldn't warrant calling it a slash. So like, ah, we'll give him unsportsmanlike. Like, fuck off. Like, that's part of the fucking game is yeah. this, like, banter back and forth between ga- teams across a seven-game series. That shit happens every single play. Like, mm-hmm. it's just embarrassing. I'm like, should Dreisaitl have done it? No, absolutely not. It was stupid for him to do that in the first place because he's just asking for it. But with that being said, like, the refs probably should have talked to him after that goal. Like, maybe they did beforehand. Like, uh, I think it was the game prior when uh, in game two where Drysaddle went skating by the Kings bench after they iced the puck in the last minute and did like the crying oh, face and was probably yeah. talking a lot of shit. So maybe maybe the refs talked to him after that and they're like, okay, you got to stop taunting them like after these kind of plays. And maybe mm-hmm. they just had enough and finally gave him one. Like, that would be the only way I could give the refs the benefit of the doubt in this situation. But otherwise, like I think me and every other fan was absolutely fuming after that. Yeah. I I couldn't agree more. I you see the those the pairing, they went on to ref the Minnesota Dallas game and continued the shitstorm. I don't know if you saw the call that they had on Marcus Felino, uh, who we'll get into later. <laughs> Fuck. Um but that tripping call that he got when he got like stuck in the face, like what the fuck are we doing? Like, did you, it's, did you see the uh, interference call the Felino got in that game where he hit a yeah. guy who had the puck and they called interference? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, those, maybe it's just those refs. 
who knows like there's been some questionable calls since then as well but not quite to the same degree let's just say yeah all right i want to get into the high stick uh the velarde high stick in overtime um i get nugent hopkins penalty like you're gonna it's just the way things go like if you're gonna slash somebody and their stick breaks or falls out of their hands they've got to call it it's just something that's been happening all year if it breaks, um, I agree that they could call it. I don't agree if it falls out of their hands. I'm kind of with you there. I will die on the hill that if you drop the stick because somebody fucking slashed you, then you need to squeeze your sticks tighter. Like you should take, yeah. you would should get an embellishment embellishment penalty for dropping your stick. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I don't disagree with that. That's for sure. Uh, but I, I don't know what I'm upset about. I guess is kind of the the replay that you're seeing over and over and over uh, obviously the call was that there wasn't enough conclusive evidence to call a high stick um i think where i had a hard time believing that there's no evidence is the pucks rotating on its x-axis and then all of a sudden just flips and rotates a different way you saw the stick kind of move um i mean it sucks I'm also going to kind of put it a little bit on Connor McDavid. Like I know that he saw a high stick. It wasn't played, but um, I, I, I have to go back and watch, but you, you still got to play out the rest of that, that shift. Like you can't just assume that it's going to be blown dead. I'm not saying that he did, um, but I kind of jumping back to what, what Jay Woodcroft said at the end of the game, like you have the best player in the world, two feet away from what happened telling you, like, I'm going to go with that guy's eyes. So, yeah, I'm it, I'm going to die on the hill that they touch the puck. And I think if anybody with any basic knowledge of physics should understand that, like, if it wasn't conclusive to your eyes, like the fact that the puck changes direction in terms of how it's spinning, like right. that should be more than enough reason for me. But I don't know. I'm sure the uh, the NHL situation room don't have degrees in physics. Maybe they didn't even take physics in high school. They just don't know. But like at the end of the day, I'm not going to like lose my mind over it anymore. I already have spent more than enough energy being mad about that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, at the end of the day, it is what it is. Yeah. Miss call, but we move on to game four. Uh, yeah, that was maybe the biggest garbage start I've ever seen from the this team this year. Um, at least in the playoffs, absolutely. Like jump, jumping out to uh, a three nothing deficit, and really just not like I, I think we. I, I say we, but. I I started noticing the Oilers trying to like right the ship with one play. And you saw a lot of guys starting to get away from the game, like stick handle, dipsy doos, like get the puck in deep. Uh, you saw a lot of plays like breaking in the neutral zone. Um, it was just a very scary start. I thought this was going downhill, but I don't. I I would pay money to be a fly on the wall during that intermission. I can only imagine what was said. Like like you mentioned, there was absolutely awful and the team had started so well so far um so i was very surprised to see them come out that soft and that flat and if it was a regular season game i might have turned off the tv i'm not gonna lie 
I might have been <laughs> like, they don't got it tonight. <clears throat> I'm going to have to just wait and watch the next game. But luckily, it was an overtime game, so I stayed watching. And I also had people over, so that definitely helped. <laughs> and yeah, um, I would love to know what was said in there. I can only imagine that <clears throat> Woodcroft absolutely tore into everybody. But I wouldn't yeah. also, I would be surprised or would not be surprised as well if he walked in there and just said something as simple as like, you guys know what you did wrong. You know how to fix it. Figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the confidence is in the room. Yeah. Um, I will uh, definitely pat myself on the back here because I, I believe I said it to the room <laughs> that do you pull Skinner at the end of the, the, the first period? Um, I, I, I thought it was the right idea to do. Uh, it had nothing to do with the way Skinner was playing. Uh, I think it's one of those things you have to do just to kind of rally the troops. And um, we keep talking about how there's no support, like the top six outside of McDavid and dry really haven't done anything up to that point. And I saw someone on, uh, on uh, Twitter, compare it to like a cavalry where you have McDavid and Dreisaitl fighting his army al- alone, and then you just all of a sudden Kane, Hyman, Nuge, everyone just kind of comes over the top of the hill. Um, that's what it kind of felt towards the end of this game because I mean, even bleeding into Game Five, uh, you're, you're starting to see more full of an effort. So um, that was that was gutsy as fuck that win. Honestly, like I'm still shocked that they were able to come back at least as quickly as they did in that second period they like they just lit them up honestly and yeah like it made it so the first period didn't even matter they're just like yeah that didn't matter that's behind us we're here to fucking throttle you and uh they managed to tie it up and even though they fell behind again in the in the third and i will say they had i'm pretty sure a god god awful third period where they were down, I believe, 15 to 1 in shots, I think, in the third period at one point. Mm-hmm. And they managed to still score a goal. And it was the unsung heroes of the top six that had been struggling, like you mentioned, in Evander Kane. Yeah. And then Zach um, Hyman managed to score the OT winner. And I'm sure everybody agrees he had been pretty awful the entire playoffs and had been god awful in this game leading up to that goal. Yeah, it was. Uh, it it almost seemed like something was off because it's like this is not the Zach Hyman that has played here all year. Like maybe an injury lingering, maybe something. Maybe it was just a monkey on the back. But uh, as you probably watched in Game Five, I can clearly see that that's gone. Um, so it, it was nice to see those guys kind of contribute and get the the bounces. Evan Bouchard, I think, is uh, probably the most underrated defenseman in the entire NHL right now. I think that might be an understatement. Like he's evolving in front of our eyes into what everybody was anticipating him to be. And all it took was a steady partner for him to play with, to boost his confidence enough. And now you see him making plays that I don't think I ever thought he would be making on this team. It's like he's holding the line under pressure by two different players and managing to either get a shot away at the net or a pass away. He's calm, but not to the point where he has no sense of urgency, which has always been a knock on his game. It seems as though something has been lit under him, and I probably attribute most of that to Matthias Ekholm and what he's brought to the team. And God, it shows. And I'm a little scared because Bouchard's contract is up. 
after this year and he's an RFA and I'm starting to be concerned about it. Getting paid. I wanted to bring that up because yeah, he's got he got three points in game uh game four. Uh and I have to highlight like Hyman's goal was great, but that fucking bank pass from behind the net was insane. Oh, it's just like I, I have no words at this point. Yeah. Like with the way he's played, he's been just fantastic. Like far and away, like our top defensive pairing between him and Echo. And like I think it's pretty fair to say that they're probably our top like five on five pairing outside of like a shutdown situation where they decide to put Echo and Nurse together at the end of a game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's dive into it. We're we're even at that point. Let's jump into last night. Uh, of course, recapping the six three thumping of the uh, the Kings. Uh, it was uh, <laughs> it was it was very like roller coaster in the first period. I noticed like it, in the offensive end, like the four check was insane. It was like a three one four check, and then you have a uh, like just no defensive responsibilities back the other way. Like I. I was actually worried that like we were going to see another game where Campbell might, you know, wind up back in net. Well, I think it was during intermission. I think it was Bexa who's like, I would not be surprised if we saw a Copley versus Campbell by the end of this game. <laughs> okay, we didn't even fucking mention it. We have to acknowledge how fucking great Jack Campbell was in Game Four. Yeah, I I realized that I wrote the note on here, but we managed not to talk about it. Um, yeah, <laughs> Campbell came in and played exactly the way that we had thought he was going to play all season long. And yeah. I don't know if he just found his game now, and like it sucks in terms of timing based off the fact that he probably won't be our starter just because Skitters played very well as well, and he has been our starter for most of the year, so he kind of gets the the first dibs on the starting role. But if Campbell can come in and play steady goaltending when we need it and win games essentially for us like he did on Sunday, then he's doing everything he needs to and he's more than worth the $5 million price tag, at least right now. Yeah, I'll take a 964 save percentage every night. Um, I think we all would. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. I I wanted to, before we forget about uh, game four and move on, but... um, yeah, back to game five. I I just felt like the Oilers defense was kind of scarily all over the place. I mean, we saw the uh, the the second goal that the Kings scored where you had Nurse taking his man on the corner or on, on the half wall. And then you have CC kind of going who the fuck knows where. And Yamamoto's basically flat footed like it, it was like, what the fuck are we doing? But it felt like there was a period like where it was like back to back to back to back goals. Um, it, I mean, it, it, it was, was really shades of the beginning of the season for Edmonton where they had the offense, but they just couldn't play defense properly. Like their team defense would just fall apart. It wouldn't just be one guy making a mistake in the defensive zone. It would be just a complete nightmare. Mm-hmm. And like you don't have to look much further than where all of LA's goals were scored. They were all scored from like four feet in front of the net. Because yeah. Edmonton just couldn't seem to figure it out in terms of defending the front of the net because somehow they'd lose a man every single time. But luckily they were able to really batten down the hatches once the second period started. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was nice to see. I've been sitting on this for so long. Uh, but to see Big Dick Nick Bukestad with two goals on the, on the night, uh, 
I don't know if, if you've seen that clip, but there's a clip out there. Uh, it was towards the end of the season when <laughs> uh, Louis DeBrusque was talking about how uh, he, he's trying to be funny and just call him Big Nick, but he slipped on it and ended up just saying Big Dick Nick. So that's an instant nickname. Um, but I thought he was fantastic tonight. I mean, I think he's been fantastic this entire playoffs. Like now the points are starting to come and he did slide up into the top six, which Mm -hmm. has been like, it was great for the second line in terms of just defensive responsibility. And Bukestad's already showing that he could produce more than, uh, unfortunately Yamamoto has been able to in that top six. And it gives like pretty much a guaranteed face off like win when he is on the ice. Well, yeah, because he's he was lining up with Nugent Hyman, right? I believe he was lining up with yeah Nugent Hyman because they had Drysaddle playing with McDavid and Kane on the first line, right? Just loading everything up. Yeah, I I thought he played great. Um, it, it really helped. Uh, I thought I thought they complemented each other well. It really helped uh, Hyman get to that uh, uh, that that next level that we're used to seeing him uh, perform at, especially in playoffs, like. Um, I don't want to lose sight of how great of a game he had either. Like taking, I thought he was going to score off of every fucking, you know, limb that he had, um, obviously taking a, a puck off the face and, and then what thought to be is his leg. I, I swear to God, like I thought he was dead when he took that slap shot. I was so lucky that that was a knuckle puck. Honestly, I didn't even realize it hit him in the face until he started going through the line and he was holding his chin. Because like I just saw it go in, I started cheering, and I wasn't even paying attention to where the puck was. All I saw was in the back of the net, and I was like, "Perfect, that's awesome." Well, and- I was sitting there watching it, and as soon as the shot went, it clearly changed direction. I just looked over, and I was like, "That went off something, and it wasn't a stick." I but- mean, I'm very happy that it worked out that way, and Hyman said it best himself that he will take a puck to the face every game if it means it ends up in a in a goal like that. <laughs> so, um, and then shout out to, uh, Sebastian Ajo, who also got hit in the face with a puck, oh. but in a much more unfortunate situation as the puck ended up in the back of his own net. Dude, I, I saw that when I was eating dinner, that was, that was quickly over. That was nasty. Yeah, that, that was a right in the mouth one. I think Hyman got a little lucky where I think it grazed his shoulder a little bit and slowed down the puck. And then it just hit him in the bottom of the chin, which... I think if you're going to get hit somewhere, that's probably a pretty good place to get hit in the chin. I was thinking to myself, like, if I'm going to get hit in the face with the puck and I had to choose, that's probably one of the places I'd choose. Any any higher, you're probably breaking your jaw, and then you're getting into the nose and the eyes territory, the temples. Like, you don't want to fuck with that. Yeah, definitely. But, um, yeah, shades of Ryan Smith. I know I've mentioned before that he's this, Hyman's the second coming of Ryan Smith. I He just cemented that right there. Um, yeah, I, I thought that line was great. Uh, I'm, I also think that one guy that, that needs more minutes is Clem Costin. Like he's, he's a fucking pit bull out there. I mean, he especially needs more minutes in the sense that in game four, he pretty much got nothing. Yeah. Um, but he's might be just one of the victims of the old 11 and seven system that we're playing. Like, him and especially the fact that he doesn't play center means that like Derek Ryan's playing a little bit more just in terms of uh, the fact that he kills penalties as well. So Costa just kind of gets lost in the shuffle sometimes, I think, 
Like him only playing 10 minutes last night, not fantastic. But I, three I mean, minutes, 38, three minutes and 38 seconds in game four. Yeah. So he never really got much of a chance in that game. And that's just because of the fact that it was so close. And even Yamamoto, he only had 11 minutes of ice time as well in, um, in game five here. So some of those guys just really got lost and you can't really ask for too much more. If I'm being honest, just because like they don't kill penalties. And without that, like if you're in the bottom six, you might, you're just not going to get the ice time that you're looking for. Yeah. Um, on the topic of that killing penalties and stuff like that, I thought the officiating's really settled down in the last, uh, last two games. Um, I know we shit all over how bad the refs were in game, uh, game three, but I have to equally, I, I can't, be, I'd be remiss if I didn't think that call on Kevin Fiala in game four was absolute horseshit. Like it was one of those things where it's like, after that happens, both teams can't complain about the refs like that one team's getting the the shaft. You know what I mean? Well, I think um, Todd McClellan said it really well after I think it was after game four where he said, like, as much as I want to, like, get mad about the officiating, like one game, it goes your way. The next game, it doesn't. And right. like you think a, you think a lot and get very angry about the times it goes against you. But you always end up like forgetting the times that it goes in your favor because, like, until you mentioned it, I completely forgot about that Kevin Fiala trip. Right. Yeah. It. I. I just I wanted to point that out because I thought last game's or last night's game was refed fairly well, and it, they let a lot of things go. Um, There's some borderline things that you know would definitely be penalties in prior games, but they kind of let it slide on both sides. Uh, I keep thinking of like a couple of cross checks in the corner and stuff like that. But um, it, it's now at a level playing field where you can go in the last, you know, three games. Hopefully we get consistency through uh, game six. Um, hopefully there's no game seven. No. Oh, um, yeah. And I'm, I'm not upset either about the refing. And maybe it's because we won the last two games yeah, and suddenly I true. just have a blind eye to bad officiating. But uh, I'd like to go and creep around in the LA King subreddit on uh, Reddit and see if there's anybody bitching and moaning about that because, yeah, I think it's uh, it's a very touchy subject and it seems as though it is that way in every single series. So, mm -hmm. like, I think it might be an overall, like, the refs just need to be better in the entire playoffs in general. Like you, you hear bitching in the regular season, but it's getting a little bit ridiculous that in every single series, every team thinks that their team is losing the refing battle. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. But I mean, as long as they're calling penalties against LA, like our power play is sitting at 57%. That's fucking like that's, that's video game numbers right there. Well, I think last season against LA in the first round, we actually were sitting around a 50% or so, like a little bit lower, but like, this is just wild. We have a great power play and mm -hmm. in a small sample size, they're showing once again that they are great and I'm hoping they can keep it up because like, how do you, how do you win games when the other team scoring on like 60% of their power plays? Well, <laughs> I mean, you, you got to tackle the beast that is you know mcdavid hyman dreisaitl nuge and uh bouchard but you get those guys off the ice and then you've got kane sniping the way that he is right now like that's exhausting 
Well, with our lineup healthy, I love our second unit now. Because mm-hmm. when we weren't healthy, we had some questionable choices having to play on that second pairing, or yeah, the second unit, resulting in them not really getting a lot of ice time. But with McLeod back, being able to carry the puck in with his speed similar to McDavid, and Kane having that wicked shot on that side, like it really, really bolsters the second unit and gives them quite the scoring threat. Yeah, definitely. A um, couple things I want to get into. Uh, let's let's talk Vinny Dayarne. Uh, he's, he's clearly struggling. He's fighting the puck. I mean, this is one of the benefits of having 11 and seven. Um, so that's kind of my question. Do we keep him still in the lineup? I know a lot of, like I asked this on, on Twitter and a lot of the responses that we got, I'll actually bring those up while I'm getting to my point here, but a lot of people saying that you should just keep him on the, uh, keep him on the penalty kill for right now. And, and basically like, sit the rest of the game but what's your thoughts like do we continue to run 11 and 7 and get him minutes or do we insert dylan holloway because that seems to be the other option well let's look at this on a game by game basis i think game one two and three he was okay he took some bad penalties at times but he never and like fell over sometimes to result in on man rushes the other way. So he did look a little out of place there, but he never was the reason the other team scored per se. And like everybody wasn't calling for his head. But that first period in game four, that was rough. And it resulted mm-hmm. in him getting benched and playing like what, th- like three to five minutes of ice time all in the first period. And then he never saw the ice again. <laughs> yeah. So like my thought is. I really like 11 and 7, and it's working. We've won two games in a row using it. So I have a hard time thinking we should go away from it. But with that being yeah. said, like, he has been pretty rough. He played really well in game five. I never noticed him on the ice, really, which is kind of what I like out of defensemen. But <clears throat> yeah. I. So just reading some of the shout out to our buddy, Brad and Calgary. Like he, he, uh, I asked the question about Campbell or Skinner Holloway or 11 and seven and like what you do with Vinny and then, uh, what you do with the uh, 29 and 97. And he basically nailed it. Like he, uh, he said to go 11 and seven, uh, you got to play McDavid and, and dry together and you go with the goalie that, uh, uh, looks and feels the best. Um, but back to the, the thing that was, Kind of shocking to me, uh, Brad mentioning that uh, you'd keep Dayarnay in the in the the seventh spot and kind of elevate Broberg, and which I agree with. I I didn't see it last night though. Like Broberg only finished with eight minutes, and Dayarnay had like basically double. Yeah, Dayarnay was sitting around fifteen with Broberg at eight. Sorry about that. My throat dried out mid sentence, and I literally <laughs> couldn't talk anymore. It just went into nothing. I thought you um, died. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but yeah, like going back to your point as well, I don't think inserting Holloway in the lineup is necessary at this point. If anything, he's going to bring offense to the team and we don't really need that. It's not like we're struggling to score. Yeah. Um, so I'd rather have a better focus on playing steady defense, having Harney for the penalty kill or even having him for those, uh, those moments when the game gets a little bit rough, just like, uh, Jay decided to throw out in the last two minutes there the <laughs> Boston Kane Bugstad forward group with Nurse and DeHarnay on the backside. <laughs> I believe they have like a combined height of like six foot five and like 220 pounds. 
yeah giants <laughs> yeah so it's it's useful to have them especially in this super physical series against la like i don't as much as i love holloway and i think he might be able to bring a little bit of a jolt to the bottom six we don't really need a jolt to the bottom six right now yeah i i, I don't think the time's right right now um but i would caution the the day or anything just just keep an eye on it you know uh if it becomes that he's using up a roster spot that you know you could insert another forward i think i think might be beneficial down the road but uh i don't think we're at that point right now um mcdavid and drysaddle back together i think we saw it like right towards the uh the uh second period of, of game four when they they started matching them together obviously keeping them together and I don't know, but I think it's the right call. In this series against LA, I would argue that it's the right call only because they have two very solid shutdown centers in Dano and Kopitar. And playing McDavid and Drysaddle apart allows those two players to be matched up across from those two guys. But if you play them both on the same line in McDavid and Drysaddle, they likely, unless they decide they want to put those two together, will only have to play against one of them at once, mm-hmm. which makes it a yeah. lot easier for one of them at least to get away from the other one. And that just opens up the scoring uh, the scoring chances for them. And it showed in the game with McDavid having room to make some good passes and Dreisaitl able to actually get into some open positions for shots. Well, yeah, imagine the fact that like you have two or three guys on McDavid like they had been the entire series and then leaving a guy named Leon Dreisaitl out just by himself. Like it's, it's not a, a recipe for success. So I think it forces the Kings to change their game a little bit. Um, and it also allows like guys like Kane to step in and get that, that confidence back uh, because I, I thought he's really elevated since he started playing uh, with, with those guys. I'm kind of surprised that um, we haven't seen a lot of Kopitar and Dano maybe playing together against them. That might mm. be a better idea because, like, LA does have some decent center depth. They have, like, Velarde and Lazat and Kupari. So they have some guys who can slot in on that second, third, fourth line and have those guys play together because, I don't know, like, when they're together, it's impossible to shut them both down at the same time unless yeah. you have, like, I don't know, a Mark Stone or something on your wing to go along with one of those guys. So you have two players who can hang with those guys defensively to match their offensive output. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to uh, game six on Saturday. Do you anticipate any changes? Like, I, I think you roll with the same lineup, especially with a performance that you had. Uh, I think you've, you've made the decision on Skinner. Uh, I think he would get the the nod again. I think it's just moving forward status quo now. Hey, I would say Skinner definitely starts. There's no reason not to start him. The only reason I would see maybe something change would be Yanmark is now healthy and can come back and play. But oh, because we're point. winning, I don't think they change it. And they likely let Yanmark like, quote unquote, rest. If right. like the game series goes to seven games, you might see a change and then have Yan Mark back if he's at like 80% or something like that. But if he's not at a hundred percent and we're winning playing 11 and seven, I don't see any point in rushing him back and making any changes. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, 
the one thing that like it, I think it's horseshit. We have to wait four days for another game, but I, in hindsight, it's probably good because you do get that extra time to rest up. And uh, when you look at like Kane's clearly struggling with something on his knee, like he's not taking the morning skates. Um, I think this this extra time will be good for the team just to you know relax because nobody's at a hundred percent right now. No, definitely. And like this is a rough series, so any chance you take to like nurse some of those injuries, I think it was Fogel took like a hard hit in the last game from Doughty, which shook him up pretty good. Like any a couple days might just be enough for these guys to feel back to normal if you're a little shaken and bruised by something. Like, obviously, if it's a longer-term injury, there's not much you can do about it. See, like, Dreisaitl's injury last year, like, a couple days wasn't going to do much for him. But Mm -hmm. I think at this point, you take anything you can get. And as much as it sucks, especially considering the momentum we have, like, it's the playoffs. So it's like you essentially are, quote-unquote, winning your series early and getting, like, an (laughs) extra, like, rest time prior to the next series, right? Because that's always a like a topic of conversation when yeah say for example the team you're going up against just swept their team and finished playing five days ago and you're hitting game seven and had to like really fight it out and across seven games and they're nice rested and you're bruised and battered because you're starting two days after your series ended so i think it's helpful for both teams regardless because i'm sure la has their fair share of injuries like fial is probably not 100 percent velarde is probably not 100 percent. so it's maybe even dowdy at this point but and some people have argued for a while that like they would like there to be a little bit more in the playoffs because essentially playoffs can come down to whichever team gets luckier and le- the least injured. Like look at Winnipeg right now and the, the injuries they're oh struggling with. Like Josh yeah. Morrissey's out, Shifley's out. Like yeah. you you just have to you have to be careful out there, and yeah. I'll take it. Yeah, definitely. Still no fucking start time, which is mind boggling. But, well, I uh, imagine the reason they don't have a start time is because some other series will potentially be wrapped up by then. Yeah. And depending on the series that get wrapped up, they might be able to bump our start time up to like a seven or even a six rather than an eight. Yeah, that would be nice. That would be nice. I also know that there's so obviously uh, for those of you who are still curious of what's going on, the uh, the Clippers and the Lakers are both in playoffs. So um like last weekend where they could have two NBA games in a day. They can't do it on a weekday. So uh, that's where we kind of get shafted. But with that being said, um, I read a uh, an article on the LA Times and they're talking about the, the arena support in LA for Crypto.com Arena. And I guess when the game went to overtime, they were like shitting their bricks because like they it was extra time. It's cutting and they had to get the arena like completely transformed by 7 a.m. the next day. And so they, uh, I guess they all went in. They got, they called in all of the crew when that goal happened. <laughs> and apparently they had somewhere between 20 and 40 people just standing at the glass ready to like open the doors and start tearing down like the boards and everything. And they're sitting there standing for like, what, 10 minutes while they're reviewing the Velarde goal. That would oh, just geez. be a wild scene. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine that. It like it's really cool that multiple different sports can play the same arena when they have different terrains that they play on. But God, mm-hmm. it's it's got to be a fucking nightmare for this scheduling for them. 
And I wouldn't be surprised, and I wonder if it's a possibility, because I think the Clippers, no, the Lakers, they play tonight. So if they mm-hmm. lose tonight, they're out. Or if they win tonight, they can move on, so they won't play their game on Friday. Is there any possibility that we play on Friday if that happens? Oh, God. I hope they don't move it back. Well, they wouldn't move know. it back, but like, I'm curious if we'd be able to like play on Friday. Not, I think I'd prefer a Saturday game. Yeah, just because you can yeah. kind of make a day of it versus like get off work and then get to watch the game pretty much a couple hours later versus having yeah. a whole day to like get together with friends and drink and sit around the fire <laughs> and all that jazz. Well, and uh, I kind of wonder too, even with the the players, like maybe it cuts into their travel. Like, do we know if the Oilers flew to LA today? Um, I don't I just, know and I haven't looked, but I would imagine because the game's on Saturday, they'd probably at least right. wait till tomorrow to go. Right, exactly. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see what time that, that game shakes up to being. Um, that being said, uh, speaking of arenas, <laughs> rumors swirling, and then it was kind of made official that Calgary's announcing a new arena deal. Uh, to replace the old saddle dome. Oh my God. I wish I could find the picture of it. Someone did a mock rendering of it. That still made it look like a cowboy hat. The funniest thing I saw last night. I mean, I'm excited for the city and the fans and everything because you heard it in those exit interviews from the Calgary flames players. They're (laughs) like, this arena is fucking trash. Like I love the city, but this is something else. So they definitely needed one. But yeah, definitely. I will say that the caveat on that is that they need to fucking pay for themselves. This is my biggest pet peeve. It made <laughs> me mad with the Edmonton Arena. Um, and it's the fact that the city and the province have to chip in money to help build this fucking arena. Yeah. Yeah. You have like, billionaires. Yeah. Well, like only teams. maybe over years, I would like to see somehow some some tax breaks come to people like us who are putting our money to taxes that are going toward this. Like, but no, we're not going to see a dime of it, especially people in Edmonton compared to the the arena going up in Calgary. Like you're never going to see any benefit from that at all. (laughs) So it's a bit of contentious issue with those kind of things. So I don't want to get too into it, but yeah, it's, it's annoying to say the least. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It it was always fun to poke at Calgary for the arena that they play in, but I mean, it's literally falling apart. So um, we'll see what's what shakes out there. You know, Um, I'd rather they put the money to the high speed train between Edmonton and Calgary. That's what I want. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah, that would be fuck a new stadium. I want a fast fucking train. (laughs) So you can go to a stadium. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll ride a twenty minute train ride to go to the saddle dome. Yeah, that'd be that'd be fucking sick. And, and I think the other reason that I'm selfishly like really upset is any time that there's like a concert or anything, it's like basically as cheap, um, as cheap. It costs the same to drive to Calgary, get a hotel, and go to the event than it would to just go to the event in Edmonton. Well, isn't I don't know that exactly what, what happened last year? You went to the well, like, yeah, exactly. Oilers Flames game in Calgary. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. We'll see what shakes out there. Uh, on to some more kind of upsetting news, but I think we got to talk about it. And I want to be very clear when we talk about it. Um, 
the uh, the incident with it's Cecily, right? I want to make sure I'm saying that correct. Honestly, I was going to ask you. <laughs> okay, because I, yeah. I keep reading as like Cecily, but I'm like, I yeah. don't know if that's right. And so I, apologize I apologize if we we're butchering yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saw on the the news. Uh, I just didn't get to the TV in time, to, but I've been reading it anywhere. Obviously, uh, an ugly incident um, with, uh, you know, being sworn at and being spit on. Spitting is like one of the lowest things I think you can do to another human Sensibly. being. Uh, but uh, I, you have to acknowledge that that is a shitty thing to do. But you have to acknowledge that that can't paint the fucking entire LA Kings fan base. Like, oh, definitely. And- I, I had some really good back and forth like conversations with LA Kings fans yesterday, and they're just like us, right? Well, it's it's the same. Not well, it's not the same because I think this is worse. And just an FYI, I did right. click on a video that pronounced the name. And it's Cecily, okay. apparently, but I know that Sweet. played into this recording, so I apologize for that in the middle well, of I didn't your hear sentence. Oh, you didn't hear didn't it, hear but anything. everybody else will hear it. Oh, nice. Um, with that being said, um, yeah, I think you could look at Game 1 in Edmonton, where you have all these like shit Edmonton fans who are throwing beer and garbage on the fucking right. ice, and everyone's calling... The, like the Oilers fan base, the worst in the league. Like, what the fuck is this? It's embarrassing. But like, and you can now say the same thing about LA. It's like yeah. the worst of the worst do not ruin the rest of the fan base. Like there are a lot yeah. of LA fans who are just like us, who are just diehard hockey fans, want to see their team win. They hate the refs just like we do. And yeah, like what happened was absolute fucking horseshit. And I cannot believe that there wasn't another person in that like bathroom or wherever that happened who didn't just fucking jump that guy or something. Right. Because if I saw yeah. that shit, I'd lose my mind. Yeah, because you always you in the states you see it quite a bit, but like at football games or baseball games, you'll see like fights break out, and like a lot of the times people will be fighting because and wearing the same jersey, and people are like, "Why the fuck are you fighting this guy?" Probably because one guy's being an idiot. Like, um. It's yeah, it's it's a shitty situation, but there's there's idiots everywhere, unfortunately. And um, yeah, it just it is what it is. Um, well, on a brighter note, as part of the let's just say like outpouring of support for this, um, I believe there was like five figures or so of increased donations yesterday to her cancer fund. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did see that. That was fantastic. Um, yeah. And I believe the vast majority cool. of it was actually Kings fans, from what I'm aware. Yeah, if you go and scroll through it, you can see all the like Kings fans responding. So it's uh, it's great. It, back, I was just trying to remember what I wanted to wrap this up with, but my thought was like, there's a line between like, you know, bantering back and forth, calling your team like a piece of shit, like you live in a terrible city, blah 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 blah. Like I get that chirping back and forth. But there's a line that you just don't cross. And it's it's kind of crazy that every most rational fans know when you're crossing it. Um, and you could kind of even see it with players. Uh, I wanted to bring up the uh, the uh, Pat Maroon incident in the in the penalty box in Toronto. He's speaking of like fans going fucking nuts. Uh, Banana man trying to pick a fight with Corey Perry. And uh, obviously that big ruckus. I don't know if you saw it, but um, <laughs> Pat Maroon was going back and forth with his fan. He started sticking up his stick to like, I don't know, poke at him or do whatever. And Corey Perry, like actually just like grabbed his stick. He was like, no, 
no, we're we're not doing that. Like it's it's that 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 part of the brain kicking in, being like, okay, line, we're we're done. Honestly, like to hear that Corey Perry was the voice of reason is the more surprising <laughs> part. Um, but by the way, uh, I just want to bring this up quick because I just am reading it now. Uh, Michael Bunting's suspension ended, and he will not be playing tomorrow. Oh damn! Or I guess yeah, that's tomorrow. Do they play tomorrow? Not tonight. Not tonight. No. Wow. So, yeah, he will not be playing tomorrow. He they said Are... he will get in the lineup eventually, but not tomorrow. Do you so, think that's a team punishment? No, I think it it goes less of a punishment, but more so to the fact that, like we were saying, why would you change a winning roster? Yeah, totally, totally. Well, I think that's a perfect segue into the other series here. Um, we got to start with Toronto and Tampa Bay because holy fuck, what a comeback. Back-to-back nights of three-goal deficits being erased, but um, I saw a TikTok today. And it was like this checklist of like demons that the Toronto Maple Leafs have to slay. And it's, it's pretty insane. Like when you're considering what they've done, they, they, uh, they won with an e-bug in net. They have now come back from a 4-1 deficit. And then yeah, we'll see what happens there. They've got Tampa on the ropes. I mean, if they could beat Tampa, then they get rid of the round one demon. And then if they can get to the second round, they'll probably play Boston. And then they have a chance at exactly. the Boston demon. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but, that series uh, has been very interesting. Um, I haven't watched a whole lot of it, but it kind of seems almost similar to the Edmonton LA series. Besides the fact that Tampa is a bunch of whiny little bitches who refuse to, they don't know how to lose. That team does not know how to lose. Sean, are we are we team Toronto? I don't like Toronto. Or rather, <laughs> I had a conversation with my uh my roommate about this. I like I don't hate the team outside of yeah. Mark Giordano. Uh-huh. Um but it's the fans. I just don't uh-huh. like the fans. <laughs> like for a team or a group of fans who haven't won anything in a very long time and like I could say the same thing about us sometimes. Like, obviously, we had a bit of a deeper run last year, but mm-hmm. like, we have no right to talk like shit, or they have no right to talk shit the way that they do, <laughs> because they just haven't like won anything. Like, if they make yeah. if they make it to the conference finals, cool. If they make it to the finals, cool. If they win the cup, cool. But they need to get through this first thing before they can even get back to the level of being able to like just be able to talk shit in general, because I would not be surprised to see Toronto blow this three, one lead that they have. But at the same time, I don't think it's the same team. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. I just don't know if Tampa's got the horsepower to come back in this series. So, uh, be interesting to see how that shakes out. Um, I want to move to New Jersey and, and New York. Cause I know you've got a little bit of vested interest there. I did not expect that, that two game deficit to be erased. I didn't expect it in uh, the way that it's happened where the Rangers win two games on the road and then New Jersey comes into Madison Square Garden and wins two games on the road. Right. Like yeah. they essentially just like, oh, it's just crazy. And the way that they got blown out in both games one and two and then managed to claw back and win like three and four. I, I've been very impressed with the way that they've played and they have their rookie goalie themselves and Akira Schmid comes in and I believe he's like leading the playoffs in save percentage potentially. I can't remember now. 
but especially after Corpusello faltered pretty hard in the five goal game. Yeah. So it's been, it's been fantastic. It's fun watching those, those two teams play because they're both loaded with like offensive firepower and the devils are a young team too. So they struggle, I would say with some adversity. So it's fun to watch them kind of the ebbs and flows of trying to deal and learn uh, on the fly. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, keeping with the theme of the East, probably in my eyes, the most boring series of the opening round is Carolina, New York. I mean, yeah, well, I think we expected that though. Did we not? We've talked about how this is just going to be a defensive battle, essentially where neither team has anybody who knows how to score a goal. So I don't know. I'm not surprised by that. I thought the Islanders would be doing a little bit better than they have been, but I don't know. I still think the Islanders can win. Well, with everything going on um, last night, just speaking of of defensive battles and stuff that was going, um, yes, a play wound up with like 15 minutes last night. Wow, that's a big upgrade from being scratched for like three games in a row. Shit, eh? That's wild, wild. Um, Boston, Florida, currently a three-one Boston lead. Uh, they're about to drop the puck here tonight uh, in a couple minutes. So. Uh, I think honestly, I think Boston wraps it up tonight. I Florida just they don't have it. They don't I, have it. I definitely agree with you that I think Boston's going to win either tonight or probably on Friday if they can't win tonight. But I do have a question for you though. What is what is this note you have under this? Oh <laughs> well, I, I made notes thinking we were gonna record after game four. Uh just wanted to talk about uh Olmark. One in the smoke after that uh, that incident they had last game. Uh, I've never seen a goalie like that fired up this year, um, just to get in fights and you know, it, it's refreshing. <laughs> I mean, Boston is learning firsthand the effect that Matthew Kachuk can have on a series, which is he barely does anything, but he gets in your fucking head. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah. like, I don't know what it is. I think he, like for us, at least having dealt with it for a while, like he could just look in my general direction and I'm like, I fucking hate you. Oh but my God. Like, it, my fa- my favorite part about this series is just watching it without a, like an interest and having no, no horse in the fight. And like not even, uh, it's definitely not no horse in the fight, but um, it's just nice to watch and see him be a pest to someone else. Yeah, I, I I definitely agree with you, especially that I don't know what the fuck you're talking about with horses and fights. <laughs> Dogs in fights. That's there you it. Go. <laughs> yeah, M- Michael Vick style. Um, <laughs> speaking of wrapping up, I think Vegas is going to uh, wrap it up with Winnipeg here in the next game. Too many injuries. Um, I, I don't want to say Hellebuck has been like terrible, but he hasn't. I, Winnipeg just doesn't have it, man. They just don't have it. Like like we said earlier, Morrissey's out, Shifley's out. They are trying to ride on Connor and uh, Ehlers carrying the offense, and I believe Dubois as well. I was just listening to something this morning. I think it might have been 32 thoughts, but apparently mm. uh, Dubois has been kind of a penalty machine, so he's been undisciplined and just overall pretty useless, so... I don't yeah. know. Like Hellebuck can't win the series by himself and he's trying, but it's yep. not going to be enough. Like he, they might be able to steal a game, one game, maybe two, but I do not see them winning three. Yeah. It's, it's a big road ahead of them. Um, 
Speaking of, uh, of penalty trouble, we'll move to Minnesota-Dallas. When did Marcus Felino become the biggest goon like in the NHL? Honestly, like I'm loving Marcus Felino <laughs> listening to the series. <laughs> like he's he's been quite hilarious this playoffs. Oh. He's vocally called out the refs for do- having dog shit calls on him, <laughs> yeah. which like I'm not surprised to see. But like I don't remember reading. Did he get fined for that? I have no idea. I feel like he didn't. But either way, like there have been some terrible penalties called on him, but then there have also been some pretty warranted ones, and that kind (laughs) of goes into the last game they played where he took the five-minute kneeing penalty. Yeah, that was bad. That was There's a lot of argument between people on whether or not it should have been five, but like personally, I'd rather see any kneeing penalty always result in a five. And like Mm -hmm. to go back to our series, I don't think the nurse one should have been like a five. That was more like towing because i believe there's like their toes that hit each other so like at the end of the day i think it deserves a five i don't think it deserves supplementary discipline but felino needs to figure shit out because he has 35 penalty minutes in five games played (laughs) and uh dallas has scored four goals on his penalty minutes so like as much as i love to see the heart and him playing hard and Things like that. He's really being detrimental to his team at this point. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> um, I I do like that they are like calling a lot of these five minute penalties and then reviewing them. I think that's a a good change to the 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 process that we've seen before, especially with like the implications that are on the line. Well, yeah, the five minute penalties were always like terrifying and they could easily just win your team a game just because one guy makes a bad decision in the heat of the moment and it's the worst one and they call a five and it shouldn't be a five like yeah i I keep it's been it's been good and yeah i'm happy that they can knock a five down not just bring a two to a five so it's been it's been very useful and there's been a lot of calls that have been knocked down to a two from a five but speaking of which there are some that i think should have been a five that were not and that comes to the Colorado Seattle series where uh, it is now tied at two with McCarr being suspended for his interference on Jared McCann, which was only a two minute interference penalty because they knocked that, it down for five. That was fucking wild. I can't believe that. Like McCann was nowhere near the puck. Dirty, literally, dirty area. Literally as McCarr was hitting him, there was a fan in the stands catching the puck. That's how far away the puck was. Yeah. Just, like, I don't, I so, just don't understand. Like, I, I believe McCarr didn't hear a whistle and, or like he heard maybe a whistle and just kind of wanted to dr- like drive him into the boards after the whistle. But like, I don't know that. I don't know what was going through his head there. Like, it doesn't really yeah, make sense. Especially Kale McCarr. Like you don't think of him as a, you know, dirty player, but yeah, I, I was shocked. He's the kind of guy who has his head on his shoulder. So it's the last thing I expected in the heat of the moment for him to just fucking like melt down and make a stupid decision. Do you yeah. speak of which do you think the suspension was deserved on top of the five or I guess he did get five. So he did, yeah, I, oh, I definitely think. Five. Yeah. Should have got five. He should have got honestly, I maybe two games. I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting, but low key, Sean, I think Seattle might do it. I think Seattle might do it. They might be able to, especially if they steal this next one with McCarr being suspended. Like, yeah. 
I could see them winning for sure. It's going to be a bit of a stretch, though. Like, as much as they've played well and they've hung with Colorado, I just, I still don't think they have the goaltending and Gorgiev has been playing really well. But, yeah, I don't know. Like, McKinnon and Rantanen really just need to take care, like, take care of business and start playing up to the level that I know that they can. Definitely. And make up for the fact that Landis Cog and McCarr are out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I guess we'll see how that shakes out again. Game six goes sometime on Saturday, uh, but we'll uh, we'll be there to wrap up at the end of the series. We just need one more win, Sean. One more win. 